This is Play-By-Play Cast. Is that faster than a greyhound? The podcast about play-by-play guys. For play-by-play guys, by I'm told, a play-by-play guy. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for him. Now here's the host of Play-by-Play Cast, Todd Bodet. <laughs> Wait, the Motel 6 guy? We'll leave the light on for you. No, Joel Godet. Joe Godet. Joel. Joe. Joel? Joel, with an L. Okay, here's your host, Joel Godet. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. Hey, all right, back at it on another episode of Play by Playcast. Thanks, as always, for the subscribe, the stream, the download, however you have found this podcast today, or if you found it on social media, you can always do that. Check us out at PXPCast. My name is Joel Godet. You can find me on Twitter at Joel Godet, J-O-E-L-G-O-D-E-T-T, or you can hit me up on email, J-G-O-D-E-T-T, at BSU.edu. This is the podcast about play-by-play broadcasters for play-by-play broadcasters, Hosted by a play-by-play broadcaster, professional development podcast, diving into the tips, tricks, experience, stories, process, and preparations of some of the biggest and best play-by-play announcers in the business. Uh, Really good feedback on last week's episode. Really good numbers, too, for what that's worth. Um, On last week's episode with Bill Mercer, who was, and I said this last week, too, just an awesome guy to sit down and talk with. It was one of our longer episodes. Bill and I went for... You know, almost like an hour and 15 minutes and just covered the gamut from the ice bowl to a young Vern Lundquist uh, to the John F. Kennedy assassination when he was a, a, a television news broadcaster. Um, and we talk about his Mercer Mafia, all of the students that he tutored uh, as a professor at the University of North Texas and kind of his best practices for uh, broadcasting as a teacher over all those years and and one of the things he is most proud of um, in his career as well. So if you haven't listened back to the Bill Mercer episode, uh, do yourself a favor and go check that one out. Uh, You will not be sorry. West Durham was the week before that. If you haven't heard that one, do yourself a favor, go listen to that one as well. We've been on a run of some really good episodes over the last couple of weeks. Our guest this week coming up is Todd Ellis, who is an interesting guy and one of the more unique broadcasters we've had on this podcast because he is the voice of the University of South Carolina Gamecocks football team. They have a different basketball voice. Uh, he is the football voice. And he came to being the football voice in 2003, having not really been a play-by-play announcer before. He'd done a little bit of play-by-play work for uh, CSS, Comcast Sports Comcast or Cox Sports Network, Comcast South or Cox Sports South, um, down in the Southeast, and had been a part of the South Carolina Radio Network for about a decade. Play-by-play was something he hadn't done to the degree and level that he was about to get into when he was named the voice of Gamecocks football. Uh, so why, Todd Ellis, would you ask? Todd Ellis is a beloved former football player for the South Carolina Gamecocks. Drafted in the NFL in 1990, he was a ninth round pick. Yes, they used to have nine rounds. Um, Pick number 247 overall uh, back in 1990. He was the quarterback at South Carolina from 1986 through 1989. He uh, was after Mike Hold. He was before Bobby Fuller. And he was... Five guys after Ronnie Bass. Of course, Sunshine. 
you would remember from Remember the Titans. Uh, so Todd Ellis is a great Gamecocks player who is now turned into their radio voice. So I was interested to talk to Todd uh, because of that path. Because it's we, we always talk on this podcast how there is no one path to do what we do. And Todd Ellis continues to be another story in that chain. Here's a guy who was a football player who got into broadcasting, but not full-throated into play-by-play, started to get some play-by-play reps, started to get some play-by-play experience, and then became the voice of the Gamecocks for football. So it presented a whole bunch of questions on my side, just in terms of how he learned the craft, how he honed the craft, what it's like kind of jumping into the deep end of the pool and learning as the voice of an SEC team uh, while you are the voice of an SEC team and diving into a little bit of how he prepares, how he broadcasts and sees and talks about the game as a former quarterback, as the play-by-play guy, and how it kind of gives you you know, two color guys in a sense because they both know what they're looking at in that analytical role, but then how he stays in his lane as well as the play-by-play guy. So there were a couple of different interesting angles that I wanted to talk to Todd Ellis about, and I think it gives a little bit of an interesting insight that we as, uh, you know, I don't want to say we as a group, but I'll talk about me, like me as a non-football playing play-by-play broadcaster uh, could learn from. So uh, intrigued to have Todd on. By the way, he's also a lawyer, full-time. That's his job. So, in addition to being the voice of an SEC football team, he has a law practice um, that he he makes work together. Uh, that's called multitasking to the nth degree, and uh, I'll be honest, kind of impressive. Uh, but Todd Ellis is our guest this week on Play by Playcast. We're not going to waste any time. Let's dive right into it. Here's Todd Ellis from South Carolina. Well, it's... Um... It's a great mixture of uh, my love for the University of South Carolina, my love for football, uh, Southeastern Conference football, and then trying to do the job of a play-by-play man, which, of course, is to provide accurate information, not be too much of a homer, and um, you know, make it thrilling play-by-play. And uh, I love it. You know, I'm not a play-by-play guy that does. Uh, you know, two or three games a week, or does somebody out of another conference? I'm somebody who, who is able to call a game to the school I went to and played football in, and uh, that makes it easier. And you know, I uh, it's great. I mean, it absolutely. If we're playing well, <laughs> it kind of raises my energy. If we're playing poorly, um, it adds stress sometimes. But uh, yeah, it's it's a great thrill for me. How did you get into the whole thing? Because I know before you did this, you did do uh, some broadcasting work on the network, but also with you know Comcast Sports South and, and such. How did you uh, get lured onto the media side of, of things in the first place? When I came back from uh, my short stint in playing <laughs> professional football, um, I went to go to law school. It had always been my goal. And at that time, Host Communications owned the rights to it, and I was uh, friends with, and uh, you know, professionally and otherwise personally, with the GM of Host at that time locally. And they needed, uh, they had a couple things changing, and they said, "Hey, would you do sidelines for us?" Well, of course, my first year of law school, everybody tells you, "God, don't get a job, whatever you do." <laughs> but, but 
you know, most of my buddies and friends I went to law school with were going to go to the games on Saturday anyhow. And I said, you know, I better, I, I think I've got some interest in this. I think I might be good at it. And, um, uh, you know, earn some, earn a little bit of money and be a part of the program still. So I started with Bob Fulton was calling the games, our play-by-play guy, Tommy Suggs, our current analyst, and was the analyst then as well. And, and I started doing sidelines and that role just expanded over a period of time of years where I, where I, uh, did sidelines on television and radio where I started doing, uh, we had a replay, which was pretty common back then where we would go in and do the game again to show on television like Wednesday cable access locally and I'd call the games there that was a big part of it kind of when I caught the bug on play-by-play even though it wasn't live uh, we were just showing the replay and calling it at that time it gave me a lot of experience and and, and obviously learning the basics of it and then you know trying to be enthusiastic when a, a game you generally knew what happened uh, I mean not generally you knew what happened so uh, that taught me over a period of time. Then they asked me to do the coaches show with Brad Scott one year on television and uh, still was doing sidelines. And Charlie Mack Alexander came in to do play-by-play from host his role in Vandy in Kentucky. A, 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 you know, a long-time play-by-play guy was hired after Bob retired. And after seven years, Charlie was uh, uh, whatever, let go or no longer here anymore. And Mike McGee had suggested to uh, the rights holders and then that that I'd be able to do the play-by-play on radio, and I took the role since that time. Tell me so about it just developed over a period of time. Tell me about catching that bug too, and and doing the replay. Uh, and first, how, how difficult was that to know what was going to happen and to to prepare for something, to and to act a certain way when you knew what was coming. <laughs> Brutal, <laughs> but you know, not unlike a lot of television nowadays. Certainly not live football, but in a lot of ways, you um, you know, it, it's not necessarily scripted, but there's a lot of things to do. It's a lot like doing a a coach's show. You might have briefly and quickly written a uh, an open for yourself to try to memorize. Then you get into it, and um, you know, you're, you're watching the the highlights after the ball game with the coach, and it's the first time he's seen it, and you've seen it, and um, so it was kind of like that. It helped me, you know, develop a personality which was not just an analyst talking football, but somebody who could move us from segment to segment, could show some enthusiasm on plays without seeing seeming absolutely fake. And uh, that, uh, you know, that helped me in a lot, a lot of ways. I think that'd be great training for anybody. In fact, when I was, um, I'm sure this would be a story you'd be interested in. But when I, when I took the job, and I said, yeah, um, at first. Somebody had mentioned to me before Charlie Mac Alexander to do the job. Do you want to do play by play? And I really was not interested in that time. I wasn't sure I was ready for the skill set and the time involved in doing all that. And then uh, uh, by the time uh, Charlie was going to be let go, I was ready. I did want the job at that time. And I said, yeah, I'll do it. But Bob, who was still alive and pretty well and doing okay living locally, Fulton, who had done games for 45 years, for goodness sake, and was still one of the best voices I've ever heard. Um, I said, let Bob work with me for a couple weeks in the summertime. And uh, so I'd go to Bob's house, Joel, of all things. He had this, you know, a nice house in a fine neighborhood here, and this old television, and we'd pop in tapes, and I would just sit there, and he had this tray in front of him with a microphone, and I'd call the games. And I bet I think I did four full games with him which was so hard because, you know, the television shot, you can't see where the ball ends up if it's a close-up sometimes. And 
where it's you know starting up depending on the shot of the game it's not like you see the whole field when you're sitting there in the booth so that was great training as well and bob was so good with me he'd sit there and take notes and we'd go back over it and worked with me as well on a lot of different things so that was a huge part of my career which was something i said if i'm going to do this i'm going to I'm going to work with him for a while. I certainly had called games on television. I don't know how many I'd done that many times, but calling games on television compared to radio, there's there's no comparison. So um, that that really helped out early on in my career. And once I got through that, I was pretty comfortable by game one. Now, having said that, it, it's a process just like my law practice. You learn every time you go out, and there's always something better, and you're always trying to improve. But by the time I got to the games, I was pretty comfortable and enthusiastic, and I, I knew what my style was. I wasn't forcing anything, and and um, I've kind of gone since then. I want to dissect a, a couple pieces of that, but before I get to, to all of that, I, I want to ask you about being a player initially, um, and even like your relationship with Bob Fulton when you're the quarterback of South Carolina, um, and and what the the player media guy relationship was was like, and kind of what you thought about. Uh, you know, uh, us media folk when, when you were a player uh, and how your impression yeah, changed yeah. when you jumped to the other side. Yeah, well, uh, you know, shocking. Nowadays, as you know, they, they at Carolina, we film kids coming out of the lunchroom. I mean, <laughs> that you can't get enough uh, data that, you know, you, they need content over and over again. So I'm around them a lot more than Bob ever was when I was playing. It just wasn't that common. He would show up at the press conferences, but uh, rarely did he ask individual questions. I'd do an interview with him occasionally. So it was not nearly as much as it as my role is now or most media people's because you cover everything from obviously the recruiting part of it to um, when they report. We had a video go out this week, which was incredibly popular on our social media. The guy's moving into the dorm. I mean, you know, people want to see everything. Um so it's changed a lot in 25 years or so, but Bob and I got along just fine. I certainly, just like I don't think those guys look at me now, they don't look at me as a media person. I don't cover any other sports. Uh, uh, you know, I don't cover any other teams. So it's a little different than the guy who's got the regular beat for the local paper or somebody who's got a, you know, an internet blog or is part of the, the, the local social media stuff is covering the team. Those are media members to them. I'm there all the time. Coach lets me go wherever I want, whenever I want, and uh, they trust me, and uh, I think the players do as well, candidly. So my relationship is pretty good. I'm, I'm like a uh, an administrator you know, or somebody around rather than a media member. Sure. Uh, in my relationship with Bob back then, I, I certainly trusted him, there was, but you know, it, it's not like it is today with the access that I've got. Tell me about those sessions that you had with with Bob Fulton as well, and the I don't know if intimidation factor is the right way to put it, but to to sit oh, yeah. with a, a legend in his house and call games like that, and and think to yourself like this has to go well. Um, what's running through your mind while you're doing that? Well, nobody told me if it doesn't go well, you don't get the job. <laughs> so that was a good thing. <laughs> I think I already had the job. It was just a matter of absorbing as much as I could. He and I had a good relationship. Remember, I'd done sidelines with him for. Uh, by that point, uh, seven years, I think. Sure. And so I knew him well, and every time he could, he got me more involved in the broadcasts with no reflection on Tommy, our analyst. But um, I got good to where I could uh, I could make points that were not being made by Tommy and try to add to the overall broadcast. And then I got a feel for what notes I should look for and how things are going throughout the game. And so Bob and I had a great relationship. So, yes, was I intimidated? Absolutely. 
but it was a pretty good comfort level when I went in there. His wife, Carol, was so funny. You know, it was like, it was a very strange situation. I'd sit in this chair and had my notes and, a, a, um, you know, my chart in front of me. And Bob was over there on the couch and she'd come out and serve, you know, a sandwich or a drink in the middle of it while we were trying to do it. It, it was, it, it, it was great. I mean, I, I wish I would have filmed those back then <laughs> if I'd had the foresight to film those things because it was such a unique environment. But we do, you know, 10 minutes, stop the tape, go back and talk about it. And, uh, hell, it was invaluable. I mean, you, he kept saying, listen, you got to be your own man. Here's a thought, you know, be your own man, but here's a thought or two. And, you know, a lot of it, play by play, is the mechanics of down distance time score. I mean, you've got to get that in all the time. You can get that in creatively. You can get it in over over and all. And the thing Bob could do so well, which has just amazed me and made it sound so dramatic all the time, which I still work on all the time, is the transition from play to play. When Tommy wraps up his analysis on what just occurred, and we've got a nine play drive going on. How do you creatively recap that in a hurry, set the tone again, and build the drama over that period of time? And I love that about Bob's play-by-play calls, and I try to work out that style as well. And he helped me with some of that stuff. Um, you know, rather than saying uh, every time shotgun snap handoff right side, Marcus Lattimore bounces over, come up with something that changes that pace up. And, um, so you, they're not hearing the same words all the time, but they're getting the information about it. And, and that's a, a art and something that takes a long time to develop over a period of time. What kind of things are you talking about in that vein? Cause I, I mean, I even think about myself and, you know, if, if you're on a 15 play drive where I'll look down and go like, wow, this is, this is a 15 play drive. What, you know, that's how, right. how do you, and, and how I, do you do I, all that? You know, I, I don't think there's a perfect answer for any of it. But what I try to do a lot again, because you got a long drive, is of course to come back and you know, uh, and Tommy wraps something up, and I say, "So here we are. <laughs> Here's the situation. The Gamecocks in the third quarter. They're down by seven. This is the fourth drive of this half. Try to recap as much as you can. This one started at the 30-yard line, and five receptions later in a row." by Alshon Jeffrey has got Carolina down to the 25-yard line. They break the huddle. I mean, you know, there's a, a rhythm to it. But in that period of time, I told them what's happened in the half, um, how long this drive was been generally, and who's been a big part of getting them down there. I, I think that's a big part of it. You know, if you just say pass out to the right side, caught for a six-yard gain, knocked out of bounds on the far sideline, you know, that's fine. That's important. you got to do that. Down to the, you know, it'll be second and six as we start – the third quarter of play um, all, you know, or the fourth quarter of play, all that's fine. But if you can give them recaps, summaries, build the drama, what's happening, the weather, where they're going. A big part of Williams-Price Stadium and the Southeastern Conference is everybody knows these stadiums so well. So I give them, you know, that, you know, at, at Texas A&M, they're going towards that monstrous scoreboard in the south end zone. At Williams-Price Stadium, they're headed towards the fairgrounds. And, you know, at Sanford Stadium, that bridge is being hung over with a lot of you know, tons of bulldogs are hanging over the bridge right now, watching the Gamecocks on their first drive of the second half. And, and the more you can add those colorful things in there and paint the picture, the better it is. I mean, you, the first thing you've got to get down, obviously, is the nuts and bolts: where we are, what's the score, how much time, what down and distance, all those things. You got to get that down, and you just kind of build from there. What was when you were learning? All of that, um, and again, if it goes back to those sessions, what what came easiest to you? What did you sit down and say, like, uh, 
hey, this play-by-play thing, I've got the hang of it. And then what was, and maybe we just answered this question, but what was the hardest thing? What took the longest for you to be able to hammer in to, to make a constant routine? Well, the easiest thing was just calling and talking about football. So while Tommy's the analyst, it was easy for me to follow that, either to finish the play, you know, uh, you know, great play fake allowed Connor Shaw to roll out to the right side where he turned his shoulder and fired down the sideline. Great mechanics by, because I knew football. So the football was easy. You know, some of the intricacies of it, the small things about it. And I could add on to Tommy's comments, and that gave us a pretty good rhythm right off the bat. Um, maybe not the mechanics. I would, I would think the toughest part was um, – Getting a rhythm, having a tone, what's your style, setting that all up, and that just takes time over a period of time. And, uh, you know, most people down here joke, and, and even the Southeastern Conference, when I bounce around with some of these guys from the SEC Network, and not so much other play-by-play guys because they'd never say anything to you about your style, but other analysts, TV guys, just, you know, crack up at me when they get my calls on the weekend and, you know, how fired up I am and uh, and what's going on in the play. And, and a lot of that has to do with my just my love of the game. It's not being a homer. I certainly don't cheer as loud when Kentucky makes a great play and, uh, and scores on Carolina. Uh, but I appreciate great football, and I'm just pumped to be watching it. You know, so if we've got a good game going on and somebody's making a great play, I'm going – you know, I'm going crazy while still trying to give the information I need to give, but I certainly don't hold back at all. And um, and that's come over a period of time with confidence and who I am, and not trying to be somebody else and all that. I don't know that there's a right answer for it, but yeah, the, it's a good it's a good question. But I, I would say just getting that style down so where you're not some monotone dude that could be on any channel anywhere in America. Let's talk about the football knowledge part that you brought up there, too. Uh, and, and you're obviously different because of who you are and what your background is. Um, but so often as, you know, strictly play-by-play guys, we think about trying to stay in our lane um, and, you know, get out as quickly as possible so you can let the analysts do their work. But how much different can that be in the relationship that you guys have in terms of being able to set one another up and, and have a truly football conversation outside of the play, uh, but not going too heavy on that that you lose your main purpose as well? That's exactly right. That's what the balance is. And you, you uh, usually it's a tag, a follow-up, or as you know, we all say, put a bow on it at the end. I, I would try to do that or at the beginning of the play. Um, you know, I, I could try to think of a, of a better example. In the front end of a play, you certainly, even as I'm calling it, you know, I can say something about the play fake, something about the formations that, that would might go beyond normally what the um, – play-by-play guy would do without intruding on Tommy's analysis. And on the end of it, I can bring up maybe one more point before we go to the next play, you know, that uh, about how it made it work. Or, or you know, there was a, uh, you know, a five-man rush picked up by the fullback that time. Great job. By, you know, the, the tailback from bouncing from one spot to the other, pick up the linebacker late. And that brings up third down and four. Here go the Gamecocks out of the huddle again. And, and I, and I think you're right. You've got to stay in your lane. You've got to give the basics. Um, you got to let your guy do his thing. But you build up a rhythm to that, and you step on each other some. But not, you know, that that happens in any broadcast. And um, but but I think that that helps me just with an overall comfort level. I know tendencies. I I got a great statistician, and and he's actually Doug, who you've spoken to. Doug travels with me, and that's okay. how he started. Now he's my office manager. 
So Doug and I have a great rhythm of what's important, what trends we're looking for. His numbers are amazing. He does an incredible job. And, and uh, so that's a big part of it, too. You know, what are you looking for? What can you add on? You know, there's four straight completions from so-and-so on this drive. And uh, you pick that up as you're going along the way. You know, they, Carolina's only run it one time or whatever it may be as it goes on. Or, you know, the trends that are not being thrown out on television or otherwise there. How do you like to be football smart, too? Uh, we, we've had this conversation uh, a couple of times on the podcast in terms of analytics nowadays, or even in, in football, too, you can get into the weeds of trying to explain, you know, route trees and things like and and kind of get into into the weeds of, of, of the detail. Uh, how do you make um, football insider language um, understandable to the, the layman so that uh, they can both learn something about the game, but also understand what you're saying all at the same time. <laughs> you know, it, it's a it's a good question and a tough one for most broadcasters, but not really for play-by-play guys anymore on radio because there's no time. There's no time. Fair. All the hurry-up offenses. All the hurry-up offenses. Um, we don't. We just have to set up and get to the next play. There's not a lot of details that we can do. Now you can do that, obviously, pregame or here's two tendencies on what happens. Or the, you know, Vanderbilt runs the best zone blitz in the in the league, and here's why. And but when you're in the game, I don't have much time for that. You try to throw in something occasionally, but you don't. I mean, these teams are running. I mean, you know how fast they run every 16 seconds sometimes, uh-huh. and uh, so you got to get set up. But and I think you got to be careful with that. You got to explain it, and you know, heck, you know, Bob Fulton told me I used to say trips to the right side. Bob said, "Don't say trips. Half your people out there don't even know what that means. Say three wide receivers to the right." Um, people understand that. I, I maybe that's not a great example today, but it is a good point. Um, so you you got to be careful with what you're doing and how you're doing it. It's easier to lay it out in basic terms. Uh, you know, some of this stuff with formations and defenses now and these blitz schemes, uh, you'd spend your wheels all day trying to do that and get the, the basics out there. Do you still not say trips, or is that something that has more worked its way into the lexicon? Or I guess where is your I think line? I, I know I say it. I, I seldom say it. I usually say three wide receivers to the right. That's correct. Uh, what's your prep yeah, like? I don't, I don't use trips. Uh, what, Sorry. What's your prep like? How do you? I, you mentioned when you were doing your your practice sessions with Bob, you had your prep and, and notes out in front of you. Uh, how do you prep for a game? And and what is important suppose, to you to know? <laughs> yeah, I suppose I do it like everybody else. You know, <laughs> nowadays, the problem is it's not having enough information; it's having too, too much, much information. That's the problem. And I've gotten much better, like my law practice, of digging through and pulling out the stuff that's important and not all the other stuff that you just know you either can't work in or can't get in there. Or you don't think it's relevant. And, uh, you know, they, they're, uh, I mean, if I looked at 10 pages from LSU about the last time something happened in their, in one of their games and tried to work that into my study somehow, I would spend all week doing that. <laughs> and, uh, but, you know, if I want to know the background of the quarterback and, and on what, how he's played in conference games compared to non-conference games, that might be something I would pull up and look at. Uh, if I see trends from Carolina, uh, which is easier, obviously, then Doug and I during the week sit there and say, "Hey, here's you know three things to look at this week. Give, give me some numbers on this and how we've done." And we build that before the ball game. But I'm just like anybody else. I take the the uh, releases from the, the universities and put in the basics, which of course is through the you know the the two deep on each side. 
and I type that in myself. That's the way to study. I, I look into that. Now, most of that's cut and paste off a of PDF, but I'm taking that, putting it in my boxes on this software that I utilize. I type those up, and then I go from there. I read the release and pull it out. And if I, you know, if I want to know how Tennessee's quarterback, you know, is done since his injury compared to before the time frame, then I'll study that myself or ask Doug about it. Let's look at some numbers. And I, I put that in the box, and you can't – I fill mine up probably more than anyone else does. And obviously, you, with the bigger players, the more you put in, and I try to balance that out. But I'll have something on everybody in the 22, um, if not two notes, that I could go to if they're having a good game. I mean, your my worst fear, which has, of course, happened before, is you know you go to Texas A&M and you got a third-string wide receiver who's got seven catches in the first quarter. You know, and you've only got this one piece of information on him that he's, uh, you know, six one and a half, two twelve, and he's from Lubbock, Texas. Uh, or, and, you know, maybe he's only had four catches before the ball game. But by the time you burn through that, what do you say the next six catches he's got? Quick, Doug, hit the so Google. You try, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we, of course, we got all that data in front of us, but we're scrambling to open it up and get it ready in case this guy's having a good game. And, and uh, you know that that's where you got to be careful. So you're always ready for first and second team quarterbacks. Obviously, the top running backs and wide receivers, offensive linemen. I, I get the starters. If it comes to a backup, I'll work from there after that and try to add something to it. But again, you just don't have that much time. My gosh, if you can say, you know, <clears throat> here comes Josh Allen from uh, Lubbock, Texas, six one, two hundred twelve pounder, transferred from Michigan. Uh, two years ago and has worked his way into the lineup, his best year or best game so far is 212 against so-and-so. That's pretty dang good if you can get that far and still be able to call the games uh, during the time frame. So, and I just build it up over the week by Thursday night. You know, i got to have a, a the other team pretty well done Friday, Friday morning early. I get up, finish up the Gamecocks because you got to update that. You can't say the same thing about the players each time. Yeah, you know, you add in their new stats. You try to add some other color, a story about them. So it's, it's faster each week as I get going, obviously, to do the Gamecocks. Then I write an open for the game. So, you know, I have a minute and ten second open that I could do anything I want on the scene setter about what it is, and I take great pride in that. Try to build up the drama and the momentum. And then, um, you know, I got the call-in show on Thursday night. That's a little easier to prepare for. We know what the issues are going in, and you, you want the coach coach to be the star so it's just how's the health of your football team and, and that's a little easier doing the call-in shows and then um, you know post game I'm writing as the game goes on that's one of the trickier things probably the toughest part of my job is the the last 45 minutes of the game post game getting down to do the post game interview with coach and then changing my shirt <laughs> washing my face and, and doing television 10 minutes later you know that's probably the toughest part of the job oh so you guys you guys tape your tv show right after the game Right after, right after. That's on wild. away games, right on the field. Well, I, we've had we've had ups and downs on it both ways. <laughs> you know, a lot of guys, all all the coaches hated going home and going to bed and getting up three hours later and coming in and shooting in the studio. Um, that obviously crushed everybody. So, and then with Coach Furrier a lot, I would do it, or we would, if we were away, we would fly back, do it at the stadium when we got back. Well, by that time, hell, everybody's tired. You got to get energized again. You go set up. Everybody's waiting there at three o'clock in the morning when you got a game from LSU. So we do it on the field on away games, and then obviously at home games, we've got a an area studio that, you know, he showers after I finish his post game radio, 
I go in, wash my face, change my shirt, put on a jacket, go write the intro if I haven't written it already, practice it a couple times. He comes in, puts the microphone on. Hello, everybody. Welcome. Carolina wins today over Wofford, 38-17. Coach, congratulations. Big running day for your football team on offense. Your thoughts on the win over Wofford? You know, you got to write that in that period of time and be able to execute it because you don't want to mess up. Is it when those recruits are waiting and everything else, if you <laughs> burn some time, you know they're they're not they're not happy about that either. And I don't blame them. I and mean, that's their job. They, you know, so they um, we we can do it in twenty minutes. Jose, do you have any horror we'll, stories we'll with champs. like the game didn't go well and coach doesn't want to be there and you just have to make the best of okay, it type situations? Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely, all the time. I mean, that's part of the job. I always, many times, have said when we're wrapping up the play by play in the booth after the game and I was like anybody volunteer to go down and do post game <laughs> you know nobody ever says anything so yeah I mean it can, it can be ugly I mean you're talking about I've worked with Steve Spurrier Lou Holtz and Will Muschamp those guys have been known to say what's on their mind <laughs> <laughs> so you know you better watch out and uh, you know they're they're it's usually not directed at me obviously but it can sure. be uncomfortable you feel you know you know their families you know their their children for God's sake you know you get you take a whipping uh, from a rival or something of that nature, and you got to go in there and do it, and you're sympathetic. But that's why they pay them a couple million dollars a year too. I never forget that either. You know they've got a job to do, and they know that. I've really not, I've not had any horror stories where it was directed at me. I've had some incredibly uncomfortable moments. Absolutely. I mean, you know that that's just part of the, the part of the job. I mean, I can remember Coach Holtz being devastated after a game, and we were in the studio. And television, and they were counting down to start rolling the tape as we sat at the desk, and his head is on the desk. <laughs> and I said, and they said 10 seconds, and I said, Coach, 10 seconds. I tapped him on the shoulder at one, and I said, Hello, everybody. Um, welcome into the Lou Holtz show. Coach, a tough loss today. He popped, he had popped up, and then he was energetic and was great, and here we're going to the next one. And, you know, but I didn't know if he was going to get off the, uh, off the counter or not. <laughs> Do you ever use who you are to your advantage in a situation like that too? Because you can speak with the empathy of having lost a tough game and, and relate to them. Absolutely, and they know I'm not just some um, you know a media guy who's a local dude who sure. could care less about how Carolina did that day. It, I, it's, without saying anything, I think I you're right. I can close that gap of I understand where your pain's coming from, but I always try to say a couple points when I walk in, good or bad. By the way, you know if we have a great win. Um, when I'm when they're getting dressed and we're setting up for radio, I you know, coach, great job today. I thought the call in the third quarter was the key one, and you know, talk to them, talk to them like a football guy, and and you know, again, put them at ease one way or the other. But and I, you know, it doesn't take a former player to do that, sure. but um, it, it probably helps. It does help. Let me ask you about being a lawyer too, um, and and obviously the the firm has your name on it, so it probably makes it a little bit easier to to control your own hours. Uh, but but how do you balance? Uh, the effort and the time that goes in to what you do professionally and uh, the effort and the time yeah. that goes into being the voice of the Gamecocks? Well, it's a, it's a balancing act, no question about it, during the fall. And uh, I do practice on my own. I work with a lot of other law firms, which I team up on. But, I, you know, no one's telling me, do I, you know, if I've got to come in on Sunday, i got to come in on Sunday and work, and i got to do that. But no one's also saying, hey, I'm, you know, I'm flying out with a team at 4 o'clock, and I've got to justify that. I, I do what I want. That's part of the reason I practice by myself, but it is very tough. And the fact that Doug and I are both involved in it, my assistant, who's also my statistician, we know 
the rough periods. Most of the I'm a trial lawyer, so most of the courts are are um, conscious of that as well. I mean, if I went to a judge, and it's been the first time it, it hasn't happened in a long time, knock on wood, but if we're flying to LSU on Friday and we got an 8 o'clock game and I'm going to be back at 3 o'clock in the morning and I'm supposed to be up for trial on Monday, they'll give me some leeway during that time frame to try to help because they know I'm doing a good thing that makes lawyers look good. And, and um, you know, they're not going to absolutely just blister me for the purpose of blistering me and make it tough on my schedule. But it, but it's tough. I, I had to I settled a case that could not be de- at all delayed any further on a Friday afternoon and flew on a private plane to Georgia to call the game and got there late, late at night. That was one of the worst ones during that time frame. So I had prepared for that mediation all that week and prepared for the game against the Bulldogs, which is one of my favorites all time and one of the best rivalries in the conference, I think. But And um, to go over there and do that, it was a hell of a stressful week. There ain't no question about it. But, you know, that you try to minimize those and uh, and you do the best you can. But it's not easy. But, you know, I'm not I'm not exactly breaking bricks here and uh, digging <laughs> ditches. It, 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 I'm pretty, you know, I'm pretty happy. It's not exactly uh, awful. I'm not complaining by any means. But there are times, there's no question that you got to, it's tough to balance. Did you know in advance that you were going to have to take that private plane? Or, or, or was that one of those oh, yeah. time was running on you and you just had to make it work? No, well, I knew at least two two weeks out or so, oh, okay. and uh, was able to plan for that. Yeah, that period of time, I just couldn't move the mediation. knew we'd be flying. knew I'd been, I think that's the only time in twenty plus years I've missed the team plane. I mean, I didn't miss it. I knew I was going to miss it, but uh, that I was not on the team plane over there. And um, so, yeah, it, it, you have some like that. I certainly have. Um, I know I've rolled in on two wheels to the coaches show on Thursday night before holding back where I've come in from uh, outside the state where I had something to drug, drug over further than I needed to be. And I, you know, Doug brings my notes or something like that with me and you get crazy times like that. But it's the worst one ever was that uh, <laughs> during the spring, we always do at least one coaches show during spring ball. and um, it, it had gotten scheduled and Doug had it on the schedule, but I'd forgotten about it somehow or even that, I don't know. Uh, and I'm on the treadmill <laughs> and at the gym here, you know, it was about 10 miles away, just we're having my workout. And the engineer calls and says, you know, we're on in seven minutes. And, uh, coach Burry was, was there sitting there waiting as I rolled in and fast. I'm, I don't know how many laws I broke on the way down there, <laughs> but it was a bunch try, trying to get there on time. So that's the only time I've had a really messy, messy mess like that from her getting it or it, something else being on my mind. I won't do the math on seven minutes and 10 miles there, but <laughs> yeah, uh, that is right. <laughs> I, uh, I'll let you go on this note. Cause I want to get you back to get you back to the law stuff. Um, but <laughs> I, I liked the article that, that that was written about you when you first got the, the position in 2003. And there was the quote in there that said, uh, let's face it. There are times when it's going to be obvious. I have to grow as part of the job. Um, so if I, if you can go back to the beginning for me and, uh, reflect on how long it took you to be comfortable and feel like, you know what, I've got my legs under me, um, and, and the types of growing pains that came with it, uh, and, and how you battled through those to get to the point where now you do feel comfortable as being the voice of the Gamecocks. Well, like anything else, um, it, it, it becomes a rhythm to you, it becomes natural, and it's not forced. There were times early, the portions of the play-by-play, that it felt forced to me, and I was not myself, and I didn't feel comfortable enough to, to uh, 
stretch in certain areas or otherwise say something was on my mind or use some description that uh, was funny. You know, when I get people crack up, I don't know how this ever came up. This is maybe a best example, but <laughs> I would get frustrated. We, we were, there was one year, I can't remember when Coach Burry was here, where I swear to God, three times a game, we had third down and 15 plus, no matter what. You know, it'd be a sack, fumbled football back, or a loss on a first charge, and it's third down and 15 for the third time plus. Uh, and so I said one day, it's third down in a Swansea dirt road, which everybody in South Carolina knows Swansea's a you know, country town with these long dirt roads, how long that is. I didn't say the actual distance. <laughs> I never would have said that, you know, in the first year of my uh, calling play by play. I didn't feel, you know, good enough about saying that at that time. So the, it just takes time to find yourself and allow that to come out of your own personality. And if you don't do that, it's not, it's not a lot of fun. Now, if I said some things, uh, maybe I wish I wouldn't have or describe things. Um, sure. But you know, it, it's better not to put any controls on it, not to put restrictions on yourself. And that takes a while. And I think that only takes some experience. It didn't take that long, but it certainly takes a while and then you got to get comfortable with the people you work with and all. And I, even though I knew them for a long time, and so um, I, I think it's, be, it's being yourself, but being comfortable enough to be yourself, and that's what takes it over a period of time. That's a that's a good note to end on. However, I did forget to ask. Uh, good friend of the podcast, by the way, uh, and I know he worked with you for a while. So I have to just ask your thoughts. Um, what what are your thoughts on working with uh, the likes of Andy Demetra for for his time in South Carolina? <laughs> Andy, Andy, the <laughs> professor. Uh, Andy's, um, I didn't uh, realize you knew him. Yeah, it's great play-by-play guy. He's one of my favorite in basketball I've ever heard. Yeah. Uh, I think Andy's a, a, a true pro, uh, was helpful to me. Andy was great in a lot of things. He was director of our broadcast and um, have a lot of respect for the work that he did. And uh, well, I don't hear him as much as I used to. I still hear some. Um, but, yeah, great guy. All right, that is Todd Ellis joining us here on Play by Playcast, the voice of football for the South Carolina Gamecocks. Uh, Andy Demetra at the end there, friend of the pod, by the way. Episode two. If you are new to the podcast, you know, I, I say this from time to time uh, that you can always go through the back archives and listen to every previous episode. We're now in, into the hundreds of episodes, so it's probably worth mentioning. Uh, who you can go back and listen to if you are just uh, finding this podcast, because I know there are a bunch of you. Uh, and we can scroll all the way back to the beginning. Episode one, Carter Blackburn, Andy Demetra was two. Doug Greenwald. We haven't had a ton of minor league baseball guys on this podcast. We will over the course of uh, time here. Uh, but Doug Greenwald was episode three from the Fresno Grizzlies. Ben Holden, CBS Sports Network was episode four. Josh Maurer from the Pawtucket Red Sox and UMass. Uh, was episode five. I mean, Bob Sosi uh, just called the Super Bowl two years in a row. That's off the top of my head. Maybe more. Um, he's called like nine of the last ten, apparently, because it's the Patriots. Uh, he was one of our early episodes. Bill Hillgrove, Adam Amin. I mean, there's some really awesome episodes. If you've just found the podcast and you're listening in the hundreds, uh, do yourself a favor. Scroll back through all the way to the beginning and uh, take a listen to who else um, – was on this podcast because the information you get now just as good as the information you got then and it's still there for you so it's going to take you a while it's going to take you like you know almost 200 hours uh to go back and listen to all of them but do yourself a favor if you're new to the podcast scroll back through and check those out also if you want to 
and we would love it. Uh, leave a rating and or a review on iTunes for us. Let's us know you're listening. Let's iTunes know you're listening. It helps everything at the end of the day. Um, next week, Mark Boyle of the Indiana Pacers. Uh, he and I are going to sit down this weekend and uh, chat in person. So looking forward to that one. And uh, then a couple of good guests coming up still as we uh, barrel toward the end of June and into July. Uh, thanks to Todd Ellis again. Looking forward to Mark Boyle next week. This is Play by Playcast. We are out of time and we are out. See you.